Hi there, and welcome to today's episode of the Seven Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to help you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And if this is your first episode, I just wanted to say welcome. Super excited to have you here. And if you're returning, welcome back. And I just want to say thank you so much for showing up every single week. I truly appreciate you. And regardless if you're new or returning, you and I today get to hang out with Sarah Archer. Sarah is a comedian, actress, speaker, writer, marketer, and coach. She's performed comedy and acted all over the UK for nearly 20 years and wrote a play called Dearly Beloved that has been published and performed in Australia, Canada, and Japan. She's also the host of the Speaking Club podcast, which is in over 160 countries and growing, and she's best known for her ability to help people find their stories that sell. She's on a mission to help heart-centered online entrepreneurs share their message in a way that changes their lives and the lives of others. In this episode, you're going to learn three things. One, how you can use the principles from stand-up comedy to increase the stickiness of your message. Number two, how you can use what Sarah calls snackable stories to grab attention and create aha moments in your audience that builds your relationship with them. And number three, why your origin story is one of the most powerful speaking and marketing assets you have and how you can use it to deeply connect with your audience so that they see the value in what you have to offer. Before we dive in, a pre-show listener shout out goes to Lionel Messi (laughs) and it's spelled with an A, not an E like the soccer player. But anyways, he said life, love, and relationships for the seven-figure millennials. Brandon has a great mission to help millennials learn about what's really important in life. He elicits great insights and wisdom from people that have experienced some extremely challenging experiences. Thank you, Brandon, for bringing these life lessons to the forefront for millennials and or entrepreneurs and beyond. So Lionel, if you're hanging out with us today, I just wanted to say thank you so much for that. It really made my day. And if you're listening to this and you are a returning listener, please do what Lionel did and leave a review, whatever platform you're listening on. If you're super lazy, you can just tap whatever star you think I'm deserving of, or you can leave a little bit more of an in-depth review like Lionel did. But what this does is it helps other people to discover the show. And I might give you a pre-show listener shout out in the future. So with all that said, please enjoy this conversation with my friend, Sarah Archer. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the Seven Figure Millennials Podcast. Mrs. Sarah Archer, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here, Brandon. Really looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to publicly thank you. I know just before we hit record, I thanked you, but I just wanted to let everybody know that's listening to this, that we have Sarah to thank for some incredible people that are going to be coming on the show. So Michael Haig, Carla Nore, Graham Alcott, Joanna Penn, those are all because of this incredible person we're about to talk to and dive into. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts on behalf of everybody listening, Sarah, for for those incredible introductions. So just wanted to say that first. (laughs) And, And I just want to say, I think you're underselling yourself a little bit there because it's the way that you handle your guests and the process that you use and your technique that that facilitated that so 
you know, it's it's kind of down to you though, really, Brandon. I'm <laughs> learning as much from you as, as you know as anyone. So you, you you're a star. So thanks. Well, we can we can continue the love fest, and we'll just go back and forth <laughs> and tell tell each other how awesome we are for the rest of this entire interview. <laughs> but that but wouldn't th- be so great for everyone else. So, yeah, yeah, probably not. We, we we won't go down that route. But if anybody is curious for what Sarah just said, uh, I think she's referencing a tool that I actually did an earlier episode on. So it's called the I think I call it the Easy Introduction Tool. So you can check that out, or the, I call it the Magic Introduction Tool. So you can check out what the heck Sarah was talking about. Uh, you know, you can spoil that on the podcast, but let's talk about Sarah. So, so Sarah, one thing I wanted to start with is I, I, in my research, I found that you have a big ambition to own a theater. And uh, when you were, when you were growing up, you had applied for a drama school that, that you ended up not getting into, but recently you, you have had this, your first play published and it's been performed in Australia, Canada, internationally. So I was just kind of curious to maybe start here and how did it feel to see your play being performed for the very first time, especially considering like the quote unquote early rejection that you had as a kid? Yeah, it's great. I mean, as I've grown older, I've, you know, you kind of learn about what your key strengths are, your sort of purposes. And, and for me, it's, it's three things. I'm a performer, I'm a director, and I'm a writer. And that comes through in the world of theatre, but it also translates into the work that I do as, as a sort of coach and, and, you know, speaking coach and what, and speaker and whatnot. But yeah, it was amazing. I was actually in it. <laughs> so I, I not only wrote it, but produced it, directed it and had a small part in it. So um, it was lovely. It was amazing. I, I really discovered how much I liked directing. I love performing, but actually direct, you know, writing a play and then directing it, seeing it come to life was thrilling. I haven't seen anyone else perform it yet because it was performed internationally and no one in the UK has done it yet apart from from my sort of uh, team but it was fantastic experience loved it really loved it and I've got another play in the works I just need to finish that and that hopefully will get out there as well well, I can only imagine because I know you're a comedian. And so like usually it's like you're you're a speaker too. So you're doing lots of solo stuff, but to see other people acting out a script that you wrote ahead of time has got to be a completely different experience than just you on the stage by yourself. Is that true? Yeah, I think it, it's a different experience, but for me it was it's actually a better experience. So whether it's whether it's the work that I do sort of working with people to help them with their stories in marketing and speaking or whether it's in in the sort of theatrical stuff that I do um one of the things that I really want to do is challenge people and try and get them to see things a little bit differently Hmm. and I used to try and do that through my solo comedy shows but um with the plays that I write I think it's it's equal to and I think in some senses it's more powerful in in a play format so I now sort of channel the comedy they tend to be you know that one's a comedy drama and the next one I'm writing is also a comedy drama but I just think it sort of embodies this the power of stories to get people to see new possibilities um see new ways of looking at things and yeah it's it's so gratifying to sort of have you know I had men crying in the play you know at, at the play and sort of it was all about, you know, not regretting stuff, living your life, you know, doing stuff. And 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 to have that feedback was was phenomenal. So, yeah, it was brilliant. And I love it. I love getting people to see new possibilities for themselves in what they can do, uh, but also, you know, looking at the world a little differently, too. 
I love that. Was there a specific moment in the play that like brought them to tears? Like, how did you orchestrate that? It was like the build up the pinnacle. And that was kind of like the key takeaway from the whole thing is that you need to not let life pass you by. Well, the, 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 so there were lots of sort of twists and turns in it, but, but the premise of it was that these three strangers arrive in this place and there's nothing but them, a door and three bags. And in the bags is baggage from their life and they they don't realize that they're actually they're actually dead basically the three of them and this is a a sort of they have to clear up their baggage before they can move on but there's they you know the reason those three people there's a reason those three people are together and it's their individual stories but how they come together and and just the sort of you know, one of them is just 13 years old. One of them is is a millennial, actually. And one of them is is an older guy. Um, but yeah, it's it. Um, I think the, the 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 older men in the audience resonated with the guy um, and the way he'd lived his life, like the way he'd lived his life wasn't fantastic. And he'd missed out on loads. So I think, you know, when he discovers the bit that he discovers that's when I think that's when they got him but also you know the kid you know it's just yeah it's a bit of a tearjerker but there's hopefully light in it enough comedy in it to make it you know to sort of balance that out was that intentional to have three completely different people from three completely different spots because actually it's funny because I I recently watched the Netflix special, The Toys That Made Us for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And they were talking about the creators, how it was very intentional that they gave each of the turtles a completely separate personality so that different kids could resonate with the the turtles. And otherwise they wouldn't really feel anything about the characters if they didn't have that component. So was that intentional in the creation of those characters was to kind of almost allow different personas or avatars to resonate with their particular situation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that what it enabled me to do was to sort of tap into, you know, with each of those individual stories, I was able to bring different audience demographics in to enjoy the play. And hopefully, you know, there was the same message, but played out in different ways. And hopefully in ways that, that you know, a broader variety of people could relate to rather than just having it about three middle-aged people you know so yeah it was intentional but it was just amazing it I had a sort of initial idea but the play kind of wrote itself once I started you know you hear novelists say the characters write themselves and you know whilst I had an outline it just it was amazing it really sort of went into that flow state when I wrote that play and just like how did I you know you sort of look at after you've written a couple of scenes you're like oh my god where did that come from you know so it was it was really and I want to get back to it but I'm just trying to make the business side you know really sort of work so that we can then you know get into the theatrical and the sort of comedy side because that doesn't pay unfortunately that's why we're sort of doing both sides of it together so yeah it's it's a journey (laughs) Well, I love, I think it makes a ton of sense, especially what you do with the coaching and helping people with speaking. And it plays really well with the alignment of wanting to own a theater and that kind of stuff eventually. And I know part of your journey, and this is something I would kind of be curious to dive into is like, as a kid, you had mentioned that you had always liked drama, right? You've always liked performing. I think I found somewhere else that you, you, you wanted to be a nun, (laughs) nun growing up. So maybe that's, (laughs) maybe that, maybe that's a separate conversation, but you always, you always wanted to be in drama and performance. And then at some point in your career, you ended up spending 20 years in HR so how did that end up happening when you feel like you you kind of knew what you wanted to do but you ended up in in HR 
Yeah, it's an interesting one. So, yeah, I did want to be a nun until I found out that they didn't actually do the talk at this, you know, in the in the church. And then I was like, <laughs> well, no, that's no, but I don't want to be sort of behind the scenes. So, um, yeah, I just, so I, I went, I've always been interested in drama and performing and went to try out for, for RADA, which is like the top school. And I kind of think I should have spread my net a little bit wider. But they basically said to me, just you need to go out and get some life experience. And I understand why now, because when, you know, when you're recreating emotion, having had it is useful, you know, to then be able to access it. But what happened was that I got sort of working. And once you get on that treadmill of work and you get money, it's, there's a, there's a term in HR, which is called golden handcuffs, when you've got such a good pension and so good benefits that you don't want to leave. And in a sense, that's what happened to me. And it was only, I think, 2009, 2010, I, I'd been promoted to, I was HR director. So I'd, I'd got my first sort of, you know, senior leadership role. And um, I went on this sort of weekend, it was called Landmark, but it, it kind of like changed my life because I saw that I wasn't living my sort of purpose as far as I understood it but I mean everyone seems to have this like just before 40 this sort of like this (laughs) epiphany which goes uh what am I doing (laughs) like what is this and I wish I'd have it earlier and I keep telling my daughter's 20 and I keep like you know I keep sort of trying to feed her this stuff and you know um yeah Tim Ferriss and and all you know all of the stuff that I wish I'd had at her age and she's a little bit resistant to it but yeah, I had that epiphany and, and then literally went back and wrote a proposal to the CEO um, to um, streamline and make my role redundant, my partner's role redundant and the chief financial officer role redundant. And it worked and I was able to leave. But um, yeah, and, and so I, I can't remember what the exact question was, but that's kind of how all that happened. And I managed to find my way back to it. Uh, but yeah, that's it. You sort of get stuck and you just turn around, you know, 20 years later and go, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> you know, this isn't it for me. Uh, but yeah, that was what happened. So what was that? What was that day like that day, the day that you turned in that letter? And then what were the days leading up to that? I'm sure there was kind of lots of what was going, what was the dialogue in your head as you kind of went through that whole experience of walking into that office and being like, I'm just going to go do my own thing now. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I mean, first of all, I had to sort of do a little bit of squaring things off with the other guys. You know, I spoke to the I spoke to the finance the chief finance guy, finance director, and the relationship, and said, "Look, this is my plan. Are you are you happy?" Because I didn't want to, you know, stitch their future up. But they were like, "Yes, we're we're happy. We'll go." And it was public sector, so the redundancy package was very good. So we were all like really lucky. Um, but it was and great. Just. A, just redundancy package that I'm just trying to decode uh UK language and US so that that's that that would be the equivalent of like a retirement package or like a uh like a pension or no it's like that? um yeah you don't have it in the states so effectively when if you've been working for an employer for like two years in the UK you have what we call right to redundancy pay okay. so it's it's a basically compensation for you to lose your job um I mean I engineered it but nevertheless, it still meant that my role was gone. So, um, you know, so I, I was fortunate enough to leave with a with a sort of severance package, if you like, um, because my role had gone. But it was, yeah, I mean, it was brilliant. But I, do you know what? I faffed about and my business failed the first time because I didn't understand 
what I needed to do as an entrepreneur. I could I could entertain people when I spoke, but I didn't understand that it's not enough to entertain. You've actually got to sell. You know, it's, you've got to you've got to get the business in. So so for me, it was it was a really interesting experience, and I ended up having to go back to corporate life with my tail between my legs because I couldn't work out how to 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 make it work I mean I, I sold here and there but not not enough and so that was a humbling experience but a really worthwhile one because that's what led me to create the way I do things today which is to absolutely marry marketing and speaking together um, because I learned that lesson back then so you had to go with your tail between your legs back to your job. How long were you back in the job before you decided to jump for the final time, I guess? <laughs> so I, I actually went back as a consultant and I was, so, and then I switched jobs. It took me, I went back around 2012 and it took me till 2017 to get back out again for one thing and another, you know, I had, we sort of break up relationship break up and all sorts of stuff, but I, all over that period, I was hustling on the side, learning, marketing, influencing sales, all the stuff that I'd, I'd sort of been inadequate on and building those strengths up so that I could marry them with the other stuff. So, yeah, it was I was working on Fiverr as copywriter, you know, on the side and all sorts. It was, you know, it was it was mad. I was full on, but it was worth it. And if I remember correctly, at that point, that's that was kind of when stand-up was kind of introduced into your life is when you were working in HR. Maybe it was earlier than that, but but how did stand-up come into your life? Because I know that that was a component of while you were working, that that kind of was a taste of what you had always wanted to do anyways. Yeah, so it was actually back in 2001. So I just had my daughter, she was a baby and I was married to her dad then. And we, we'd gone out on this rare night out to this sort of club uh, sort of cafe thing. And they had a comedy night and the compare said to the audience, anyone want to get up and tell a joke, uh, come see me in the break and you can have a go. And I'm like, oh, so my, and I kind of, this is really interesting because sometimes my tummy knows what I'm going to do before my head. And mm. I started to get butterflies and I'm like, oh, this is, you're going to do it then. So I went up and um, I told a joke. It wasn't my joke. It was one of my dad's and, uh, and it went really well. And people were saying, oh, you've got, you know, you've got a gift for it. You should do it. And so I went on a comedy course for a weekend and, and then went from there and sort of slept around for, you know, nearly well, I mean, I still do the occasional gig now, but like you know, off and on for sort of 20 years doing comedy all around the UK. Um, I did some spots, spots abroad, but yeah, it was, uh, it was an experience. And I love, I love, there's nothing better than writing a joke and having people laugh. Um, but yeah, it's hard work though, because you're all over the place. And I had a young daughter and so fortunately my partners have always been you know helpful and, and the sort of I can go out every now and again till two o'clock in the morning and then come home again but yeah it's hard but it was it was fun yeah it's great thank you for sharing that I think there's so much truth and I love you sharing the emotion of like oh am I really going to do this but I know I'm going to do it and then I'm going to I'm going to do it anyways and I think that that's I've intentionally designed 
things into my day, day to day life where like, I force myself to do things that I really don't want to do. Like I take a cold shower, I'll take my warm shower. And then I like force myself to turn it all the way to cold at the end, just because I know I don't want to do it. <laughs> and then it makes me do it. Or like, I went skiing the other day. Uh, and I, I, I had never gone skiing before. And so I was like, uh, bunny hill for the first part of it. And then I, I kind of started learning really quickly. And by the end of the day, my friend's like, Oh, do a black diamond. I'm like, Oh my God, should I really do it? And then I like forced myself to do it. And I was so glad that I did it. So it was really cool that you shared that story of like, and it led to you doing comedy for so long because of that incredible experience of you being on the mic and hearing people laugh at your jokes. So that, that thanks so much for sharing that. I mean, the thing, I mean, your thing is you've got to do it because it's the, at the edge of your comfort zone it is the only place that you grow. You know, and this is the thing that I think a lot of people that I work with don't understand. You know, a lot of people will say, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. I'm not ready for it. But yeah, you'll never be ready. You got to, you got to do it. And that's when you grow. And that's when you build the confidence to, to do it again. I mean, the first time I did five minutes of stand up, I was petrified. But then from there, I went to 10 to 20 to an hour length show. You know, it's just, you have to build that circle and grow it. So yeah, you're absolutely right. That's another thing that I I think I'm going to force myself to do stand up one of these days too. And it's just, it's something where it's like, I, I know I want to do improv because improv has always looked really cool for me, but to do actual stand up, I feel like that's a whole different beast. Uh, but I just think that it's, it's one of those things where just like entrepreneurship, it's really quick learning cycles. Like there, I, I, I can't think of, and I think I've mentioned this on a previous podcast, but like comedy sports and entrepreneurship are three things that allow you to have really fast learning cycles. Like I did this thing and nobody laughed at my joke. I have to do better. Or I tried doing this in a, in, in an athletic endeavor and I totally biffed it or in entrepreneurship, I tried this thing and nobody bought it. It absolutely didn't work. And so I love that you, you know, you're, I feel like lots of entrepreneurs have that overlap of entrepreneurship plus sports, or in your case, entrepreneurship plus comedy, where it's like, you have to constantly be asking yourself, did what I do work? And if it didn't work, how can I improve it moving forward? And then you just kind of kind of keep doing that over and over again. Once you get in the habit of looking at it, not by judging yourself, but was did was it effective or ineffective? Or was am I evaluating myself or am I judging myself? And that comes from Blair Dunkley, this other guy I've had on the show. But I just think that's so powerful that that it the, the overlap of entrepreneurship and comedy, where it's like you gotta try things and just be comfortable with it not working and then pivot from there. Absolutely. I mean, that that's exactly right with comedy, but you're right. Marketing, like when I talk about marketing, you've got to test the hook. You know, if you want to get someone to pay attention to your message, you test it. If it doesn't work, try something else. You know, so it's, it is constantly throwing stuff out there to see what sticks in all of those sort of forums. But yeah, I mean, I learned, I became an NLP practitioner back in 2009, 10. And one of the biggest things about NLP is there's no failure. There's only feedback. And and that's, you know, it is hard because sometimes we wrap our identity up in the jobs that we do and the results that we get and the roles that we play. And we've got to understand that, you know, we are always going to fail, but it doesn't mean that we're a failure. Mm -hmm. You know, sportsmen would tell you if they, you know, the best sportsmen are the ones that see um, a bad result as a learning opportunity, not as a, as a failure in themselves. And they get back and, and crack on. But that's that's the difference between a successful entrepreneur, comedian and whatever is that that learning and getting back out there rather than just making it mean, oh, that's it. I'm, I'm out now. So persistence and consistency um, are, are absolutely vital in these these different genres. Yeah. 
Yeah. And just because I always try to clarify things, NLP is neuro-linguistic programming for those that aren't familiar with it. So can, yes. you, can, you, can you maybe tell what, what that is uh, and explain? Because I feel like that's a lot really relevant for what you do today. Yeah. So um, it's, um, so Tony, um, oh my goodness, I missed you. Uh, I had Anthony on, sorry. Tony, uh, Tony Robbins, or is that, I don't know if that's Tony Robbins. Yeah. Tony, <laughs> Tony Robbins never actually qualified in NLP as far as I'm aware, but oh, he, really? this is, no, as far as I'm aware, he didn't, but this is his tool. So it's, it's all about our language is so powerful that the stem of it is that, that language is powerful. The language we talk to ourselves in and, you know, we don't re- recognize that when we do that self-talk it's it's damaging ourselves so one part of it is that through our language we're programming ourselves but it is also about modeling excellence um and so yeah um, i'm no there's all sorts of things that you can do with nlp to get people over phobias to to you know a lot of coaches will use it to help you get rid of limiting beliefs to change habits and everything else but it's it's basically about programming yourself to change through language effectively yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And if anybody is listening to this and you're interested in going into this, I did interview uh, Tim Schur, who should have come out before this episode. And he's a hypnotist that's conducted over 15,000 sessions and he does lots of NLP stuff. So if you want to dive it more into that subject, that's on there. But Sarah, something so something I wanted to ask that I think would be a really quick win for the Seven Figure Millennials audience that would be a great place to start, at least when it comes to introducing your speaking content, is you talk a lot about snackable stories. And so I was wondering if you could maybe share what snackable stories are and why they are important when it comes to us in our speaking? So snackable stories are like three to five minutes, ideally um, a personal story, but it could be an anecdote that you've heard. And basically you can use them in talks or webinars or Facebook lives or everywhere really to get people to see um, I take a learning point away. So the way that I teach it is I kind of sandwich them between um, setting out a problem, then sharing the story and the takeaway I had, and then the takeaway for the audience. But they are, they're brilliant. But it's it's about yeah, just a short, you know, few, you know, s- sentences that sort of start the story with the setting, then the action then your epiphany, and then the takeaway. So very short, but they're brilliant for overcoming objections, um, inner talk, uh, yeah, all sorts of things. I absolutely love them. And, and, you know, I do a challenge where I take someone in five days from perhaps being completely uncomfortable to sharing this story in a really powerful way with metaphors and analogies to bring it alive for people. But, yeah, I love their really powerful, short, little snackable stories. So can you give us an example of, of one that you might use for driving home a point? And, and I think I, yeah. you, you can go ahead and take that from there. Okay. So well, this isn't actually a story about me, but it was very pertinent. So I was just going to share it with one of my students. So um, I often see people want to go out speaking and sharing their message, but they haven't actually nailed the fundamentals and it reminds me of a story I heard about Magic Mike. And I'm not talking about the stripper Channing Tatum's <laughs> film, right? Not talking about that. I'm talking about this chicken called Mike. And Mike lived on a farm. And the farmer decided that it was Mike's time. So he took Mike, got the axe, and cut Mike's head off. And just like happens with chicken sometimes, Mike ran around because the nerves, once the axe make contact, the nerves trigger the running in the, in the chicken and it carries on running. 
But this chicken carried on running for 18 months <laughs> without any direction, without you know any, any idea. And so they called him Magic Mike. And the reason that I think this is important is because for me, when I work with speakers, when I see people who want to speak, if they haven't nailed the sort of marketing message fundamentals, you know, they can be sharing their message, but it's not going to get them the results they want. It's without strategy, without direction, without focus. So don't be like Magic Mike. Get your marketing message fundamentals nailed before you go out and share your message with your audience. So that's how I would use love it. that. So, uh, but yeah, it's, a, it's a, something I found out today. I was going to share with one of my students because that it would fit with their message. And that's the other beautiful thing about snackable stories and stories from your life. You can often find that one story will create so much different content because there's always different angles. So I was talking about that from from the perspective of my business, where people share and you know speak without really having the fundamentals now, so it's pointless. It's you know, but she works with boards of companies, and and the way that that I'm going to show her how to use that is that if the top of the company isn't performing as it should be, the whole company is aimless. You know, so there's there's from a short story you can take so many different angles. It means you can repurpose the content. And, and and use it over and over and over again in different ways. So it just means you're not recreating uh, stuff left, right, and center all the time. I love that. I want to highlight a few things there for people. So you you kind of shared it in passing, but I wanted to kind of just nail it down. So this structure, you call it the PAT structure, P-A-T. So right, is that correct? It's problem, anecdote, takeaway. Is that accurate? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And oh, I mean, so- it's got, sorry, go, go on, Brandon. Well, I was what? just going to say that if, if I was, you know, that was literally just off the top of my head. But when I work with people, I would, you know, we'd put a little bit more, some specific details in there so that people can relate it back to their own experiences. And then maybe some metaphors and analogies to make it more concrete and sticky for people. But yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to say too, and it's funny because one of the people I know I introduced you to is Anthony Mativier, who's this memory expert. And I, I had worked with Jonathan Levy and doing all this memory stuff. And like, we as a human species have evolved to think in pictures because it's like how we survived. Right. And so we're naturally wired. And so people may forget the, the random thing that you share, but they're going to remember magic Mike, the headless chicken running around all over the place. And like, hopefully if it was a strong enough anchor and you use enough description, they're going to remember the the takeaway as a result of that. So like they, they could forget everything, but if you use these throughout the whole thing, they're going to be like, Oh, I remember the magic Mike story. And then it will lead them to having the same conclusion. So it is uh, so, so I just wanted to highlight that first of all, second of all, I just wanted that. So, so if somebody wants to do something like this, I'm just trying to think from somebody's perspective, that's listening. They're like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know uh magic Mike chicken. I don't have anything crazy like that. How do you encourage someone to come up with these snackable stories or maybe events from their life that they can then turn into a snackable story? Yeah. So basically, I mean, I'll just explain the process of, for instance, with the challenge. So basically I just give people what I call story prompts. So it's questions. So um, what was your favorite, you know, what was the favorite toy you had when you were young? What was the best, the best thing you ever got? Um, have you ever done anything where you thought you would fail, but you didn't? Um, what was the wisest piece of advice that a family gave to you, a family member gave to you and why? So when I ask people these questions and, and often they tell me it's really cathartic. So I think I give them about 10 questions and, and I ask them, uh, to just let their mind wander, 
and sort of go into their memory and, and sort of see what comes up. And then over the course of, you know, the five days, we will work through. So they'll come up with just like a hook to remember it by and then maybe a few bullet points. And then we'll start padding it out with some detail, with some imagery and all of that good stuff. But, yeah, it's just you've got so much um, gold in your memory. It's just a question of, of getting it to the surface. And what's really interesting is that, one of the people on the challenge previously said, do you find that people have stories come up that they need to hear at that point in their life? And I'm like, well, I don't know, really. But actually, it's really amazing because often, you know, we had on the last challenge, I had a nun on, on the challenge and she's in the middle of a rich, like a crisis point in her life. And the the story that came up from her past was about procrastination and not making, you know, not taking action. And, and it's so interesting. Someone else was about, you know, um, being a child in, in school and being laughed at and being afraid to sort of step forward. And it's just, yeah, it's amazing. But there's so much gold. So just, you know, sit with yourself, uh, you know, think about, you know, your favorite person, something you surprised yourself with, all sorts of different things that you can ask yourself and just let your mind wander and these stories will surface. And then it's just a question of understanding What's the takeaway? And then how can you bring that back to what you do or what you need to share? We had a manager of a, of a hotel chain on the last one, and it was about following a process, you know, not having the instructions. And, and he couldn't play the instrument that he got as a present. But he wanted to share that with his team about how it's, it's, you know, it's much easier if there's a process to follow. So, yeah, it's all, all sorts of stuff. But that's how I'd get it get into sort of surface, if you like. I think this is a great exercise for people to think about too, because I feel like lots of times as marketers, you have to be consciously aware of what's going on in your day-to-day -day experience and how to tie that back into something that's really relevant. Because like you said in the beginning, like the hooks, like you have to have something that gets people to pay attention. And usually that's going to be something pretty wacky, but you need a way to tie that back into something that's actually relevant. So I think this is, this goes way beyond just speaking. And that's why I wanted to make sure that this was highlighted because if you're a copywriter, if you're somebody that's like, you know, doing Facebook ads, if you're writing stuff for your website, or if you are doing a talk, you know, these are all places where you can use this pat structure of, of the problem anecdote takeaway. But think about a really, you know, day to day experience that people can relate to, they can picture it in their brain, as you're telling the story, they can have it and then uh, leverage that as a way to help people have these little mini epiphanies. And if you do this, get into a habit of doing this over and over again, it'll just make you a more powerful storyteller, copywriter, marketer and entrepreneur all around. Yeah, and it's absolutely right. And I think that I love the way you use epiphany there because this is one of the things that I talk to people, you know, you, I don't know if you've ever had this, but have you ever, ever sort of discovered something that you thought was the best thing since sliced bread and then you've gone to tell someone about it, maybe a friend or family member, and they've, they've not only not got it, they've started finding fault with it. And the, pro the problem is this, is that we fall in love with something at an emotional level. We buy into it at an emotional level. We have an experience, maybe I was talking about kite surfing. So you see someone kite surfing on the sea with the sunset and you're like, oh my God, that looks amazing. I want to do that. So you fall in love with it and then you go out and find everything out about it and you sort of sell yourself on it at the logical level. But it's at that point that you go out and start telling people about it and they haven't bought into it emotionally. So what the stories do even the snackable ones is allow people to gently sort of buy into it emotionally to sort of tap into the experience that you had 
Um, you know, so they lead themselves to the answer and it's not you. So yeah. it's I love to talk about speaking to sell, but authentically and gently, not hard selling. And that's what stories are so beautiful for. Well, another thing I just want to kind of tie back to the very, very beginning of this conversation is when we talked about the characters in Sarah's play, right? That you have like a character that is going through something they can relate to. It's the same thing in a different structure, right? Like you created a character to allow them to personify and be in their perspective to have this realization the same way that you create a story and a narrative or these snackable stories that allow someone to drop into a particular context, have the emotional experience, and then you know, uh, be able to actually move forward and take action. Because if you tell them about kite surfing and what type of board you need to buy and like the the angle that you're supposed to ho- hold the the thing, they're going to be like, why the hell would I ever want to do this? That sounds stupid, you know, like, but they didn't have the experience of seeing the person do the incredible thing. So this yeah. is, this is a, this is a skill that, that can, can be used everywhere. So I love that this, this is so versatile. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it definitely can, you know, I, I'm a writer, so I kind of bridge, I do copy and I do speaking, but they're very, very closely tied. And you can even tell a story in a sentence, um, which, you know, I could say, Brandon's, just take you, your name. Go for it. Brandon's business, <laughs> Brandon's business was failing. Then he discovered storytelling. And now he's living life large. And in like, in a sentence, you get the context, what, you know, what he discovered and what's happening now. So it is really powerful, even in just like a simple sentence. Yeah. I'm a, I might butcher this, but I'm just going to attempt it anyways. There was a copywriting example I saw about being able to tell a story in one sentence. And it's kind of a sad, sad story, but it was like, you see an ad on like a, a used, like, like a, in the United States, Craigslist or Facebook marketplace or whatever to buy something. And it's like pair of kids shoes, never used something like that, like a lot, like a pair, pair of baby shoes never used. I forgot they said it more eloquently like that. But the idea behind it is that like the baby never got to use it because like something tragic happened and like they, yeah. they can, compacted that within one sentence. So like if you're thinking that stories need to be overly complex, there are plenty of ways that you can make this and and, and have it really compact and punch size and I mean, I'm, I'm a total nerd about this stuff. My wife will make fun of me all the time because I'm taking pictures of like, I'll, when I went to the UK, when in London, like I'm always taking pictures of like the subway. So I'm like, oh my God, that is such good copy. I'm going to use that somewhere. I'll like take a picture or something because it's like, you could use that. So like, if you're listening to this right now, you're looking for a way to apply this, get into a habit of just like being more aware. Awareness is the first stage is like that you can use this. And that's why I really wanted Sarah to talk about this because I think it should open your eyes as to what's really possible. And now that you're aware of it, try to think about ways that you could leverage your day-to-day experiences and turn that into an emotional experience for someone that leads into uh, an epiphany or a realization that allows them to move forward in your business. Yeah, absolutely. Stories are happening all the time to you that you can leverage for this. And, you know, if something happens, just take a second and say, well, wow, that's, that's interesting. Well, you know, what could I take away from that? Or I could maybe take away something about leadership or something about confidence, you know, something about marketing, whatever it is, you know, just, Literally, make a note on your phone, uh, a bullet sort of a sort of hook title, so you remember it, and then maybe some sort of tags around what sort of um, areas that it could categories it could apply to, and how you can tie it back, and you'll be golden. You know, you only need, I reckon, maybe ten to twenty stories. You can keep repurposing them with different angles, and it's it's brilliant stuff. But you have got to tie it back to the problem and the pain and the transformation, the offer that you you know you're making to people. Yeah. Well, we could have like, it's funny. I have like 18 pages of notes and I know we've, we've went through, like, we've gone through like 
three three pages. So like there's there's so we can we can talk for forever on this stuff, but would love to uh, maybe dive in on something else that I think is one of the most important stories that everybody needs. And like you talk about this in your content, there's three pillar stories. You have one about your target customer, one about your origin story, and one of the story of the person or business that took a leap of faith and used the product or service that you offer. And um, I, I think if we could hone in on one of those, to me personally, an origin story has been huge in 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 crafting that. So for somebody, well, first of all, let's explain what an origin story is. And then for somebody that wants to use it, how can we go about creating an origin story? So, well, actually, we've kind of segued into it previously. So the the idea that you um, share an experience with someone in order to get them to buy in emotionally is actually the point of the origin story. So it's kind of like why you do what you do and, and sort of or why your company does what it does. And through sharing your origin story, so it's sort of like, you know, Marvel, they have like um, the origin story of the superheroes. It's kind of like that, but it's your one for your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it is that you do, whether it's in a, in a corporate uh, environment or you have a business or whatever it is. So, for instance, I and, and you can have different origin stories for different products even. So I have a few different origin stories that I use. Um, so one is around how I discovered the power of stories and humor, which was, you know, when I was 22 and I was made the chair of a works council, which is kind of like a union only with less power in Germany. And I had all these people doubting that I could do the job. And I had this big company conference coming up. And back then, like 20 whatever plus years ago, we didn't have the Internet. We, you know, I had to sort of read some books. So I, I got a book on after dinner speaking and I looked at these stories and and they were from celebrities and stuff making these points. And I could see that I was actually remembering them and the point, um, but getting it across in a, in a nice way. So I thought I'll use some stories. So I told the other guys in the works council, they're all sort of old German men and they weren't particularly happy. But uh, they, I said, look, let me do it. If I fail, you can just forget it. But I went to this, this uh you know sort of meeting and I did my talk and I started off by sharing a story and it made everyone laugh and it dis- and I tied it back to the sort of management team and it dispelled all of their doubts about me in that role and from then I've used stories in my life and it's now the golden thread that pulls everything together in terms of what I do and that kind of is a, is an example of an origin story it's what made me have that epiphany and they can be sort of eventually they shouldn't be really more than 10 minutes or so but it's the why you do what you do you know a lady I was talking to a lady at a networking event and and she was talking about how she sells homeopathic remedies because her daughter had been unable to go out practically living in a bubble um, for so many years but she tried some homeopathic stuff and suddenly this girl's condition completely changed and that's why she does what she does. But it's almost like it's it's peaking curiosity. It's getting people to sort of, you know, live like it's what Hollywood does. You know, it's that internal, external transformation going on as well. So there's a structure to it. But at, at its essence, it's the it's the experience that you had that made you do what you do today. And if you can tell it in the right way and add in all the colour, and bring people on the journey with you, you'll be able to get them to have a similar experience and, and sort of buy into what you're you're selling, whether it's change, an idea, a product or service, a charity, whatever it is. 
that's that's the way you do it. Yeah. And just if you're listening to this and you haven't experimented with your origin story, you don't even know where to start. Like I would highly, highly encourage this to be something that you spend a few weeks, if not a few months on. And obviously I think that your origin story continues to grow and change as you learn more details and ways that you can explain it. But like learning this for me was huge. And like whenever I'm on a podcast or even if I have a three minute networking, I always share the same story. And yeah. like, so if you listen to this, you want the full version, you can listen. I think I did an episode, it's like episode three or something on the magic connection method process. But I tell the story about growing up on the free lunch program, you know, being super embarrassed by going through the lunch checkout line and having my name show up with $0 because my family needed help. And my parents taught me that if I wanted to be successful, it wasn't about having the resources about learning how to be resourceful. And that's what led me to learning how to connect with people, which got me into genius network, this high level mastermind, which is where I learned the the origin story for seven figure millennials, where it's like, I saw all these people that were incredibly financially successful, but miserable. And that ties into what I do with seven figure millennials about inspiring millennial entrepreneurs to prioritize their happiness, health and relationships. So like, if you listen to that story and you thought that that was just something that I just came up with, that is absolutely months of me researching and figuring out what the hell was going on in my childhood and, and how I could articulate that. And there's a part where I share the story about like having my, my, my plastic tray and putting it down next to the lunch lady and typing in my student ID. Those are all intentional things so that people can picture what the heck was going on in my life and how I had that realization. So that's why I wanted Sarah to share her insights on the origin story, because I think it's, if you haven't nailed that down, this is something that you can, like she said, you can extend it out into a 10 minute story. If you're on a podcast, you can shrink it down to three minutes if you're just networking with someone, but having something where you can share a moment that really allows people to understand who you are and what you do is so much more important than if I had just said, oh, I, I teach people how to connect with people. And I have this process called the magic connection method that allows you to open the doors to connection has no, not even a close to the same impact as if I had shared the story ahead of time that leads into it. So thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I, I think this is the thing. I mean, they say facts tell um, stories sell. And, and this, this sort of is the most powerful story you'll ever get. And, you know, you've got, I think you've got Michael Hay coming on your show in the future. And he's like the master of this. You know, he's He's amazing. I had him on my show and then I learned so much from him. But it is, you know, he believes, in fact, he can prove one of his clients has made a hundred million dollars from their origin story. It's that powerful if you can get it right. So it's definitely worth spending some time on and and you know, really leveraging some details, emotions, creating. I always say you're like a movie director when you're putting your origin story together because you need to be you know looking at what you're creating in terms of the sort of you know auditory visual emotional experience for your audience so that they can maybe not have the exact same experience as you but tap into a time when they were in a queue with their lunch tray and put it down so they can bring themselves into the scene and that's I mean that's what Hollywood does so well. It sort of you know, that's why I leave a, a sort of racing car film thinking I'm getting into my car thinking I'm going to be like you know brilliant at, at, you know car racing and stuff. It's just it's amazing stuff. It's so powerful. Yeah, yours is great, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I would encourage anybody like now, again, what, what I talked about before, awareness is key. Now that you have heard about us talk about origin stories, go in all the people that you listen to that you respect. I guarantee they have an origin story, whether it's, you know, Tony Robbins talking about how he had multiple fathers and he had the experience where he was going through um, Thanksgiving and somebody came and donated money for his, for his family. And he talks about that. Or another one that comes to mind is Pat Flynn talking about getting laid off in 2008 or Brandon Burchard getting in a car accident or, 
you know, so like all these people that I'm just thinking about, there's just like, those are people that have honed their stories and they told them over and over and over again. So if you, if you don't have one yet, you need to get one because like, like, like Sarah just shared, and maybe I'll have to ask Michael when he comes on the show, a hundred million dollars to an origin story. These are the things that make you human that people can relate to. So super important. Um, I, I want to, I do want to keep, uh, I wanted to make sure I got this from you. Cause I think this is really important is you have this unique perspective of not only being a storyteller, but also a comedian. And one of the things that you share in your story-led speaking online course, and then you have 10 modules, but one of the ones I thought I would be really interesting to talk to you about is you have a, a module called Humor 101, Make Them Laugh. And I think this is really important to talk about too, specifically having you on the show, because you know you can you can try, I feel like people don't really know how to tell a joke in a story. And like, it's really kind of an anxious, like you don't know if it's going to land or, and so I was, be, I was interested to hear your, perspective and maybe share with us how we can use humor in a safe way that allows us to kind of incorporate this and make people laugh or if maybe we shouldn't try doing it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I will. I mean, I've got a, uh, a couple of specific episodes on humor on my podcast, but one, um, I, it's one that I do um, sort of make people laugh without forcing the gag. And, you know, I would say you have to, I, I like referencing Spider-Man's uncle here. Um, humor is like, what Spider-Man's uncle said to him, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And, and the same is kind of true with humor. You have to, you know, be really careful how you use it. So I, I do want to sort of say, test it out before you use some humor, but there are some really kind of risk-free ways you can do it. So one is, um, one's called the, the sort of rule of three. And to, to understand how this works, uh, I'll set the scene by saying that comedians and magicians are very, very similar because we both use the art of misdirection to do what we do. So the rule of three is important because it takes two things to make a pattern and then the third thing will break it. So you can say, you know, I don't know, two things. If you're, you're talking about three things, so you say... Um, I'm just trying to think about a, an example here that might work. So I was working with a, a, an online entrepreneur and she makes templates which save people time. And particularly her demographic is, is female entrepreneurs, you know, mums really. And so she said, you know, I make these templates and they, they can save you time so that you can do something more meaningful with your life, like end poverty or, you know, save the environment or make your kid's birthday cake for the first time. You know, so <laughs> in that sense, you kind of, you know, like I always do, and then she winks. And so it's kind of like you're hitting a double whammy there. So you're kind of going, the pattern here is that it's going to be something really, you know, earth shattering, but it's making your kid's birthday cake, but it taps into that sort of mum thing as well. Um, and then her following up with a wink, like I always do, is kind of saying, yeah, I don't really, we bite like everyone else. But yeah, it's that kind of thing. So the, the pattern is three things, two things which people will be expecting, and the third thing fits but breaks it. So it's either a massive exaggeration or this particular example I gave you was what we call big, big, small, which breaks it in a slightly different way. So, but exaggeration is another great tool. So contrast um is in in comedy we have this thing called illogical pairings and if you think about um duos like Abbott and Costello, Costello Laurel and Hardy there are sort of like the embodiment of that illogical pairing but it's like two things which you put together which shouldn't go together so exaggeration 
is, you know, when you're using a metaphor, if you, you know, if you, instead of saying um, her eyebrows rose in surprise, you could say her, her eyebrows rose higher than SpaceX, you know, and it'll get a smile. So you don't have to go for out, out laughs. But but in me saying that immediately, people will go, oh, my God, you know, you kind of get the impression how surprised she was. So exaggeration is a great tool as well. But surprise is the essence of comedy, really. So there's a couple of things there. So don't force it. Um, don't force it, but just, you know, brainstorm around some things which could be, you know, you know, you could use to sort of really hit home in a funny way um, the message um, and use this rule of three, which is which are a couple of good tools. Yeah, I think that's a really non-invasive way of doing it, too, because like I think, like you said, the danger of trying to do a joke is like you try to make it all clever. And then if it doesn't land because you haven't practiced it, that's pretty awkward. But like you could do a rule of three thing. And like if it doesn't if it doesn't work, like it's not one of those things where people are like, oh, you were really intentional trying to make us laugh here. And it's not as awkward. So I feel like it's like a it's a safe way to try it out. And the rule of threes is really important, too, in copywriting, like like yeah. bullet points. If you're doing bullet points. Three, The number three is really magical. So it's like you can do a list of if you do a list of two, you kind of need a third one. And you like a, a list of four is really awkward. So three is kind of like a magic number in in our brains. And there's some studies that have uh, that have talked about this that I'm not going to be able to remember. But three is an important number when it comes to like you said creating a pattern in your in your head absolutely um, and we can yeah. only remember really three to five things that's another reason why it's really yes. important yeah apart so, from if you do Anthony's method obviously <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh who's uh, anthony Vitivi, i think we mentioned before he's uh, uh, a magnetic memory method and he was on sarah's show that i introduced her to and maybe we already mentioned that but um so another another thing that i thought was kind of funny that i, I was i wanted to talk with you about is one of the things that i listened to another show that you were on and you talked about I think it was another show, but you talked about this, this exercise you take people through when you're helping them to become a comedian and it's called the naked exercise. Uh, and, and I was kind of curious to, to maybe dive into this because I think it's a, a interesting thing that we could think about as far as how we're showing up in the world. So would you mind telling us what the naked exercise is and how we can use that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, um, what the re- I'll give you the context of how I use it. So when as a comedian one of the first gags you learn is something called a bonding gag because and the the whole basis of this is that when you walk on stage people will notice things about you and if you don't address them then they'll be distracted so what I get people to do is before they come to the class is go and stand in front of a mirror naked and and write down exactly what they see you know from top to bottom all of the stuff and then they come to class and they they sort of they sort of share what they saw and then everyone in the room gives them what they see and what happens is we are often blind to the most obvious things about ourselves that other people see so this exercise just gets people to to be aware of the bits that maybe they're they're not aware of and that they can sort of make fun of because, you know, the bonding gag is a self-deprecating joke that bonds you with the audience. It says, I'm likeable, like, you know, because half the battle in comedy, half the battle in speaking is being liked. So if you can make that connection with the audience and and sort of in a nice sort of lightly deprecating way, not so you completely undermine yourself, but just a gentle sort of poke at yourself, then that works really well. So yeah, just that's the exercise and that's what people get out of it is is the first joke that they potentially can use in their set when when we're working on it. 
Yeah. The reason why I wanted to bring that up too is because I think it's important to, I mean, it's important to know what people are thinking about you, but not get too wallowed up into it because it's like, otherwise it can inhibit you, but understanding how you could take a potentially negative thing that they would be thinking and turn it into an asset would be something really good. So when you, when you shared that, I just thought that was really interesting. So if I do stand up, I need to make fun of my, my half Asian-ness and my spiky hair <laughs> or, or something along those lines. I have to go stand in front of a mirror naked a little bit and take some notes and then, and then ask other people what they think too. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, you would have heard it before. Someone will cut. And I know lots, lots of people do it. Oh, I bet you're thinking I'm the love child of, and then two people that they look, you know, the oh, two sure. celebrities or whatever. So you've heard it before. Or if someone's big, they'll address that. Or if they've got heavy accent, they'll talk about that. Or ethnicity, yeah, all of that stuff. So yeah, people do it all the time in comedy. Yeah, I love that. My my wife and I were just watching. We love Jim Gaffigan, and we were watching his uh, one of his sixty minute specials or something like that on Netflix. And uh, he does that hilarious. He does so many comedians do that. So it was one of those things where it's like now I'm aware of it. Now I'm going to see it. I just thought it was something funny, but now that I'm aware of like the fact that that's like a very common script or a common gag that you have to use in order to break down barriers, because you're right. Like people are thinking things, and if you don't address it, it's kind of eating at their subconscious, and they're not really present with you until you kind of overcome that. And I think it's, I mean, it's in marketing and sales too. It's like, you have to, <laughs> you know, in your webinar, you have to overcome objections that people are thinking about their product and service. And Russell Brunson talks about the three secrets about how there's internal objections, external objections and about your vehicle. So this is, again, it's all the same conversation in different contexts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've got, and basically what a comic does effectively is is says what everyone's thinking or, you know, which you think, but would never say that's why comics are interesting but in marketing you've absolutely got to be thinking about if I say this what is my audience going to think if I make this offer what are you know exactly what you said what are their objections and you've got to even voice it and say maybe you're thinking this well let me tell you how that works um and equally if something happens when you're speaking in the room um, you need to address it like if if someone's phone goes off or a siren goes past uh, you just address it because otherwise you'll lose the audience that split second. So you then take back control. So yeah, exactly that, what you said. One of my favorite copywriting books of all time is called Breakthrough Advertising. And it's yeah. like one of the, one of the original, like I think Brian Kurt sells this uh, is the only way you can get it is through Titans Marketing. But like, otherwise, if you go on eBay and you try to find a copy of Breakthrough Advertising, an original printed one, it's like six, $700, but it would be a good investment anyways. But I think you can get it for like 200 bucks on on uh, Brian Kurtz's site, Titan Titans Advertising, if, in case you're interested. But anyways, the reason why I say that is because one of the fundamental copywriting principles is to enter the conversation that's already going on in your prospect's mind. So again, this is just like a third way of hammering in the same damn point. But, you know, it's like in copy, you have to start the copy with whatever's going on in their in their customer's mind. So if you if you have a Facebook ad that has a wonky video and you send them to a landing page and it doesn't address what the heck you had in your, your ad copy, if there's a dis, if it's not a continuous experience and uh, overcoming, or at least having a, a continuous experience, you're going to lose people. Same with comedy and like same with everything. So it, it, it is just another way of exploring it, which is kind of fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. I have that book. I, I bought it from Brian and then I had Brian on my show, actually. It's, it's a great book. And yeah, and I think it's, you know, from a marketing context as well, it's un important to understand as well. Hopefully this isn't too sort of far off the point, but that, your customers are at different points in the journey. So when we say enter your customer's mind, you need to understand where they are as well in the journey. And, you know, 
I, I think some people always start maybe with a cold audience, but the, the easiest pickings are people who are further ahead. So they know what the problem is. They know there's a solution. Maybe even they're aware that you have a solution, but wherever they are, you've got to sort of tap into where they are at that point. And people are at different points in the journey. So it's important to recognize that as well. Yeah, there's this is we could talk about copy for forever, but there's like problem aware, solution aware, you know, if, if they're problem aware, you need to start with something and something I don't have them completely memorized. But yeah, understanding what is going on in the prospect's mind as far as your product or service in position to like their stage of awareness, like you have to you know, use your copy in different ways, depending on what they're thinking. So yeah. yeah. So, so we'll, we'll, again, I, I'm to have, I need to have some copywriters in the show so I could just do a whole show on talking about, cause like I end up talking about copy with people that are not like hundred percent copywriters, <laughs> but it's just like something I naturally have to talk about. Um, this is going to be a complete, uh, you know, uh, a rough transition, I guess we'll just put it that way. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to make sure I talked about with you is, is in your TEDx talk, you talk, the title of the talk is what does it mean to be authentic? And if you're listening to this, I would highly recommend you go check out Sarah Archer's talk on that. Just search it on YouTube. Um, and when I have a, a site up, I'll make sure to link that in the show notes, but, um, lots of people talk about authenticity today. And I think that in today's world where there's so much fakeness, where we scroll past this, these lives that are not even really real, uh, but like we're perceiving them to be real on social media that, you know, the, the conversation about authenticity is an, an important conversation to have. So what inspired you to do a TED, TEDx talk on this topic? Yeah, so for, for that particular talk, I guess, in, so for a lot of reasons, I guess one of the things, you know, being completely honest, is I always struggled in comedy, finding my persona. So that, who am I, you know? who am I that that is the question but but also part of this is that I recognize that working you know very much to the point of your show about getting that balance right between work and life is that I found myself quite often um just miss you know my daughter would call me zombie mum sometimes you know so so I wouldn't be present and I, I'd miss out on conversation so and it actually looking back on it because that was a few years ago now that talk and I think I've come to understand that in in what I teach and, and in life authenticity kind of is like three different things so I don't like Toastmasters myself because they get people to worry about things that I don't think are important when you're sharing your message like whether you do ums and ahs yes if it's to the point of distraction it's a problem but I think you, your natural personality needs to come through. And, you know, also with ums and ahs, it gives people a chance to process what you're saying. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. So it's kind of like being yourself. But the other thing in the point of that talk was staying present because, you know, and, and oh, this taps into so much, too much to go into here probably, but, you know, tapping into sort of Eckhart Tolle, you know, all the pain in our lives comes from the past and the future. And it's only when we're present, when we're in the moment, um, you know, in that flow that um, Chiksa Mahali talks about, that we are, I think, truly being authentic. And as a speaker, you know, once you step on stage, yes, you do the prep. And part of this is about sharing your authentic stories, too, in the mix. But once you share, once you step on stage, you need to be completely present with your audience 
so that you're connected with them. And, and that's, you know, if you're in that space, in that moment with them, then you're being authentic. So it, well, it's sort of loads of different levels, but it, it's for me to work on because I still am in my head often. You know, I'm not present living my life in that moment. So that was, you know, where it sort of came from. It's sort of who am I? And then ended up being, well, there is no I. It's just me in this moment, you know, and, you know, we can get hung up on personalities and all sorts of things, but we just lose all that stuff and just be with people in the moment and be connected. I think that's most important. And that, you know, so many people when I teach speaking, as soon as you put them in front of an audience or in front of a camera, they go into what I call presenter mode. It's like they've got this idea of what a presenter should be and it completely stifles their personality and rips them away from their audience. So you've, it's partly understanding you're enough. Yes, get some training. Yes, prep your message and do all those things. But once you're there, be with your audience. That's kind of it, really. Yeah. And one of the most powerful lines from your talk I wrote down is life is about experiences and connections, not about what you've achieved. It's about how you've made people feel. So I just thought that that was a, a really beautiful message. And then also to clarify on something you said, Eckhart Tolle wrote the book Power of Now. So I would highly recommend mm-hmm. one. It's a f- fantastic book. And if you're if you're looking at more of this content on being present and heart centered and you know, not worrying about what's going to happen or what has happened in your past, I would recommend Power of Now. Um, the Untethered Soul by Michael Singer and another one by Michael Singer. It's one of my favorites is The Surrender Experiment. Those are all some some great resources for people. And I was kind of curious to ask you, did, have, have you watched the movie Soul yet? The new Disney Pixar? Oh, Disney yeah. Pixar yeah, I loved it. I yeah, loved I just, it. This, it is, just lots of, this is all about it. Yeah, lots of what you were sharing. I was like, oh my gosh, like I hope she's seen that movie because it was like, if you're listening to this, you haven't, you haven't watched it yet. It's just, maybe I won't go into it, but it's lots of this stuff about like not, not letting life pass you by. And people think that, you know, life is about what you've accomplished and what you've done, but really the point of life is to live life. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the under undertone behind it is like, don't, don't let all this other stuff pass you by when like sometimes ha- happiness is just being present and being with people you love and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think that ties back to my play. You know, my play is called Dearly Beloved, and and that's exactly the message of the play. And you know, I I will say when you get to your deathbed, you're not going to go. I wish I had the iPad. It's it's like I wish I you know had experiences and been with people. You know, so that's I guess it's kind of a golden thread through what I do as well. What, what matters to me, but I'm still on the journey myself. Yeah. I I have a few other kind of last minute questions because I know we're getting on time, but I, I, I have to ask this one because it's just kind of, you just segued right into it is this topic that you talked about, about authenticity, you know, lots of it, people talk about being a heart centered entrepreneur, being more mindful of, you know, what's important in life instead of getting distracted. And I know one of the things that you talk about is you help heart centered on online entrepreneurs share their message in a way that changed their lives and the lives of others. So do you view that like this whole conversation about authenticity and heart centered Centeredness, I guess, is is is. Did your path of self discovery lead you to understand the kind of people that you want to work with? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, you know, don't get me wrong, and it's really interesting because I've got some ads running at the moment where I'm talking about my heart map. It's one of the key things that I, you know, get speakers to. You know, is, is a blueprint for a talk, and it's called my heart map. And someone had put a comment on my ad. You know, oh, you called it the heart map. It's a bit woo woo. Why isn't it called the story map? You know, and for me, it's it's just enabling people to speak from the heart. But yeah, I guess I, I think in some ways, people who are heart centered often find it hardest to communicate, hardest to sell, 
because they have this sort of, if they could, they'd give it away for free. But what they don't understand is that people probably, they don't, you know, there's this thing that people don't pay, they don't pay attention. And, you know, one of my guys that I like, James Wedmore, talks about the transformation starts with the transaction. So, yes, I love to work with heart-centered people. But one of the big messages that I share with them is that if you don't understand how to sell, then you're being selfish. Because if you truly believe that what you offer can change someone's life, then it's your duty to, to, you know, sell it to them. But obviously, the way I sell I like to think is through stories. So it's, it's softer, it's more gentle, but I am about results. I am about sales because I do believe that that's the way you get transformation in people. So, you know, that's, so I love, I love to sort of cre- try and create that epiphany for them. You know, I'm not the only one, but that, you know, that's, that's a big thing for me. Yeah. Love that. Well, here are a few kind of more, I guess we could treat these as more rapid fire questions. So we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll kind of keep these a little bit tighter, but one, a few of them I thought would be interesting to ask you is what do you think, what do you see as the biggest beliefs about speaking that kind of hold people back or the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to getting started with public speaking? Yeah. So one I've mentioned is I'm not ready. So, um, so part of that is about imposter syndrome, but but, you know, I would say, you know, like I work with someone who six months before we worked together wouldn't have said her name at networking events. She was, had that much anxiety and she wasn't ready to speak to 250 people. But, but she started on the journey and now she does. You know, so you, you've, you've kind of got a, you know, someone else used the analogy of growing your pot, you know, getting a bigger pot before you put the plant in it to grow and it's the same thing so you 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 can get you know you're not never ready but you need to start the journey so take action don't get in your head about ums and ums don't become a robot speaker you know so you are you you're the best thing advert you know people will resonate with your personality they'll be your tribe and people that don't you probably don't want to work with anyway so you are enough and just kind of get out there and but do prep, you know, your audience is giving you their time and attention and attention costs, you know, energy for one thing, but, you know, they're giving you that. So you need to treat them with respect and prepare. So think about where they are, where you want to get them to, and then the journey that you need to take them on to get them to that place. That would be the three things. So prepare, be yourself and, uh, and trust that your the right words will come so that you stay present. Love that. Thank you for sharing. Uh, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And it could be an investment of time, energy, money. Um, interesting. Uh, I just, I, I love, so learn le- courses. I, I love courses. I love learning. I think the best investment I made is, is in my self-development. I think, you know, because I think the moment you stop or you think you know everything is the moment that it, it kind of, you know, is it starts going backwards. So um, I invest in myself. In terms of gadget, what I love, I've got a remarkable, that is one of my other best investments, which is uh, I love writing and it's like writing on paper, but it's, it's electronic. So I love that. That's my little sort of gadget that I love. What is it called? It's called a remarkable. So, I've never heard um, of that before. Oh, it's amazing. It's it's just like writing on paper, but it keeps everything organized. So it doesn't like surf the net. So for uh, if you're a writer or a thinker or you need to get down your thoughts, you, there's no distractions. 
but it you know and you can use it for drawing too and you can like it converts your text to, to your handwriting to text and all sorts but it's, it's a beautiful tool very simplistic um but it's, it's lovely Okay. So I just looked it up. So it's like a tablet and it just kind of has an experience of writing more like paper without wasting yeah. paper. Yeah. Got it. Cool. It's very well, that... simple, but it's effective. Yeah. Love that. A new, new gadget. Um, this is, this, is, I, I think I want to start asking more of this question to people specifically on the show, but I'm just kind of curious, what does happiness mean to you personally? Um, when I'm when I'm lost, I, I think when I'm lost in the moment. So, uh, when I'm not thinking about work, I think I'm, not that I don't love my work, but it's when I'm out of my head in the moment because it's I often in in the head thinking about stuff, you know. And I I think it's when I'm actually in my body rather than in my head. And it's that's a bit it's a bit sort of nebulous, but that that you know. And, you know, when I'm laughing, I guess, when I'm laughing, actually, because then I am present. Something's made me laugh. Yeah. I love to laugh. Love that. And I think you're very, um, you know, you're in alignment with that because it's what you do, too, (laughs) as you make people laugh. So you get to give back and receive it at the same time. Um, One one other thing I always like to ask is kind of like a final wrap up is if if somebody was not taking any notes. They weren't really paying it. You know, they were obviously paying attention because this was an incredible interview, but uh, if they, if they could only take away one thing and like you wanted to make sure like you could forget everything else, but make sure you remember this, what would you want to make sure that people remembered from this conversation? Um, find your stories and leverage them to move people to where you want them to get to um, because they are the most powerful tool that you have and then if you can sprinkle a bit of humor in they're magical but stories are the trojan horse that will get you whatever you want in in the in the best way possible that makes sense yeah love that awesome well where can people find out more about all the incredible stuff that you have going on sarah um if they go to story led marketing so story led marketing all one word dot com uh, everything's there. And if they want to have a look at the podcast, they can find that on all of the sort of normal podcast places, but we have a site as well, the speaking club.com. But yeah, those awesome. are the two main places. Awesome. Go check out all that stuff. And if you're listening to this, my voice right now, and this is your very, very first episode, just wanted to say welcome. It's an honor to have you and hang out with me and Sarah today. And I hope you become a regular listener and subscriber. And I bring on incredible people like Sarah every single week. So as you could tell, I love to go deep. This isn't like surface level conversation. So we get to learn all the incredible things that people like Sarah have learned for all the years. And if you're somebody that's returning, just want to say thank you so much for your support. You're what makes this possible. Really appreciate you. And regardless, if you are a new or a faithful subscriber. If you found value in this, please leave a rating and review, help share Sarah's message so more people can find it. And my life has absolutely been changed by podcasts. That's why I'm a podcast host now. And so, you know, when people share episodes that are really relevant for me. So if you know somebody that wants to hear about speaking and wants to learn how they can leverage it more in their businesses, please send this and share this with one friend because I love what Sarah teaches and I think it, it deserves to be heard by many, many more people. So thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on. Really appreciate you. This has been a blast and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for having me, Brandon. I've loved it. Appreciate it.